tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Go! Warm and welcome to Tim Full Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to Rock. join me as always. The man, the myth, the legend, Xavier Guerrero. <laughs> Forgot his name, huh? And then on the one and twos, shut the fuck up, Johnny <laughs> Woodard. Totally forgot his name. Shut the. Fuck <laughs> I mean, up. I've never. That's guys, a real life brain malfunction. Guys, right we got we got a banger. That's for brain you. fog, folks. We got a banger for you today. Big time. Whitney Webb comes in, drops a hammer of the gods. Gets deep, and guess what? At the end, gives us hope. A little bit. Some hope. Yeah. I think there's. I think she gave us hope. So I, I'm going in on it. Right now, I'm looking for farmland as we speak. Okay. Uh, again, I, I, I'm real quick. I want to thank everybody who came and saw me in Minneapolis. Uh, the weekend was great. Hitting, I'm hitting my numbers. I like. I'm going to keep working hard. I'm trying to get... My goal in life is to sell out all these comedy shows without anybody knowing who I am. It's a very hard, hard thing to do. Okay, <laughs> I try. That's my goal in life. Sell out without anyone having a clue who I am. That's my goal. But I want to thank everybody uh, who came. All the wonderful swarm. You guys are great. Uh, I want to thank uh, the hot Somalis. Who came? I saw that photo. Oh, that was a great picture. Dude, you guys have no clue how hot those chicks were. They that were picture, at the show? They came to the show, and I was just talking They're about- from Somalia? How I just wanted to bang all their Somali asses. From Somalia. And I wouldn't even give them names. I would just give them numbers. Oh. <laughs> number, number four, number That's seven, so go to work, dog. Go to work. Uh, but they were great. And the whole weekend was great. And the club is fun. And it was such a blessing. And we had we did great numbers. So thank you all for coming out. And I really appreciate the support. I, I would love to, again, I say this every time, I would love to sit with all of you and just have an hour conversation. But the line is long. And, you know, I usually end up talking to everybody after the show anyway. So thank you guys so much. And I can't thank you enough. I know it was a, the last show was a little crazy. But you know what? That just happens, dude. So thank you all for coming out. If you'd like to see me live, please go to samtweet.com. Click on all the links, okay? Just go to samtweet.com, hit events, and you can see that this uh, no, uh, March 14th, Comedy Chaos is back. Tuesday, we're back on our Tuesdays. Uh, looks like they're giving Daddy Tuesday. Oh, you think nice. Yeah, yeah, that's my original day. My goal is to get every Tuesday. That's my goal there. Is let me bang, bro. Let Let's me bang. bang. Let me bang. Come on, dude. Let <laughs> me bang. So uh, let the man bang. March 4th, let the man bang. March 14th, 
uh, 8 p.m. We got great, great lineup. Uh, we got Matt Reith. We got Tony Rock, Eddie Bravo. We got, oh, here we go. Jeff Die, Tony Rock, Jessamay Peluso, Eddie Bravo, Jonathan Kite. Where winners win. We're crushing it, Comedy Chaos. Grab your tickets now. And we, listen, dude, a lot of these people are doing shows. They're raising their prices insanely. I won't do it. I want people to come and have a good time. I'm not looking to soak anybody. Then March 14th, obviously Comedy Chaos. Then the uh, 16th, I'm back at LA Cave Comedy. I'm doing uh, the 9 p.m. Very excited in Costa Mesa. Then March 14th, we're doing Yuma, Arizona. That's a uh, 7 p.m. show. I'm told tickets are moving, okay? And then on the 25th, I'm in Vegas for a private birthday party for a big-titted OnlyFans girl. So winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> Dinner, uh, April 13th. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Everyone keeps... It's so funny when people go, when are you coming here? Oh, so you don't listen to the intro. I got you. Oh, dude, you were in my town. I didn't know. Because you don't listen to the intro. So we got uh, dates are coming, going back to San Diego, all that stuff. Check it out. Hey, guys, real quick, real quick. Real quick I got to add one more thing to my dates, if you don't mind. Uh on Saturday the 18th, March 18th, I'm doing stand-up at the True Earth Equinox Virtual Summit. It's online. A bunch of truthers will be there. Crow77, David Avocado Wolf, Amanda Volheim, Sean Hibbler, Hibbler, Heil Hibbler, High Impact Flicks, Bro Sanchez. You can get tickets at TE. MMS.live and make sure you select my name when you buy tickets so I can get the credit, you know. Uh, but check out his T E M M S dot live for tickets, schedules, speakers, lists, details, and hope. So it's um September. Excuse me. It is March 18th at I, I see my schedule. I'm at 6:30. PM Pacific Standard Time. I'll be doing stand up. So uh, again, just go to temms live. Pick my name if you could and join me. I'm gonna be doing uh, half an hour. Make you holler, talk about flat Earth and demons and and butt stuff and all that amazing stuff that you really like. So check it out. And uh, yeah, anything else, guys? Did I forget? New Broken Sam is just out. Uh, it's a good one. Oh, and real quick, new Broken Sim just out, and then go check out a uh, new T-shirt. We didn't get into that. We talked, get in, go click the T-shirt, Take, click, there we go. Uh, two new T-shirts, they're basically different designs of the same thing. The first one uh, is, conspiracy theorists aren't wrong, your algorithm is just lying to you. And then some people thought that was too much, so I made another one that just says, your algorithm is lying to you. So, uh, great way to support the show, new T-shirts all the time. Working on new shirts all the time. Guys, enjoy this episode with Whitney Webb. We go deep, homeboy. <laughs> Very excited to have her back. Her new book, One Nation Under Blackmail, has been crushing it. We're honored to have her back on our little show. Please welcome Whitney Webb. How are you, Whitney? Hey, doing great. Great to be here. Well, we're honored to have you on. I've been seeing you doing all the amazing shows, and it's great to see you getting your, your love from everybody for your research and all that stuff. And uh, let's just pretend like people might not know who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself <laughs> and where our listeners can find you? 
<clears throat> yeah, sure. So I've been um, doing writing, researching stuff uh, pretty much full time since 2016. I guess some people think I came out of nowhere uh, just a few months ago because I had a, a pretty big interview. But um, I've actually been doing this for a pretty long time. So I've actually um, uh, used to work for Mint Press News. Um, in 2019, I did a pretty successful series on the Epstein case, uh, which has grown into the book that I had come out at the end of last year, One Nation Under Blackmail. And and um, I have my own site now called Unlimited Hangout. And um, before then and, and still now, I contribute to The Last American Vagabond with Ryan Christian. Well, we love Ryan On occasion, Christian. so and, you can uh, find me there as well. And you're on Rockfin with a very successful show on Rockfin. And mm -hmm. oh, So, Whitney, let's get into it because we have a short amount of time. Uh, so I'm always, you know... In conversations with, I guess we'll call them normies, whatever we want to call them, <laughs> that they still believe the mainstream media and all that stuff. And, you know, inevitably I'll be like, what they want, and then they'll go, who is they? Who's they? And Which I think they want me to say the Jews, but I don't think it's, you know, that's, the, that's their kind of move to kind of emotionally just attack my argument and not have any real discussion. But I think it's beyond that. I think it's at higher levels. Uh, so when I, I want to ask you, if I say who is they, in your opinion, who is they? All right. So I um, might have a different answer to this question than maybe uh, you're hoping for. Sorry about that. Uh, but basically, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think very few people, if any, at, at least in the alt media space, know for 100 percent who they uh, would be. Right. So wow. a lot of the the groups or people that we can look at and pinpoint as being obviously shady and obviously a part of it. I don't see those people being at the top. Right. I mean, even people like Bill Gates, right. I don't I see agree. him being at the top of all. And, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, tech billionaires who were told, right. Are the richest people in the world and the most powerful people in the world. Um, like Elon Musk, for example, he's a really good example. He's supposed to be the world's richest guy, right? The only reason he's rich is because he's had his business empire basically supported uh, by a bunch of government subsidies. So if you're getting a bunch of subsidies from the deep state, right, and you're contracting with the deep state, the military and the intelligence communities, which Elon Musk does through uh, SpaceX and I think some other companies as well, um, you know, you're not you didn't just get to the top and you're not, you know, there's people that supported your rise to that top. You're, you know, you were put into that position. So you're not the guy at the top. Right. Um, and so I think people like Bill Gates fall in that category too. And so, um, you know, um, in answering this question, I, 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 I kind of wanted to defer to um, a graphic that a colleague of mine, Ian Davis, made of what he call well, he calls it calls it the global public private partnership, trying to sort of chart out how power works today. And public private partnership should be pretty familiar to people at this point because of how the World Economic Forum, for example, likes to throw it around and stuff like that. Uh, but basically, he. Um, you know, structures, um, uh, structures it. So it, the bank of international settlements is at the top. And I think, you know, at least as far as we can see, that's pretty fair, right? Because that's the central bank of central banks. So they basically control the money, right? So who controls the BIS? Well, I don't actually know that. Right. Uh, but there's like, you know, there's people that have written books about it, like uh, the tower of Basel, for example, and some other, um, 
you know, books on the topic that uh, go back and talk about how the BIS sort of came out of weird stuff in, in World War II about like laundering, gold theft and all of this stuff. So, I mean, you can assume that it's ultimately bankers at the end of the day that are on top, but which bankers. And again, a lot of those bankers work, work for some of these elite families. And even if you want to look at groups like the CIA, for example, if you go back to the origins of the CIA, you have a lot of um, involvement from uh, British intelligence and the British aristocracy and also oligarch oligarch families family uh, family factions like in the united states like the rockefellers for example are a well-known one but you have the morgans like jp morgan and the melons and like a lot of these other aristocratic families in the mix so i don't know i mean if you want to talk about who's on the top i think a lot of these people marched out in front of us are sort of more managerial people or people that you know have the people at the top telling them what to do and then they go out there and and sort of get tied up with a lot of these these policies or or you know different actions and activities that make them notorious with people that are calling out the system as it's currently being developed right Uh, but if you want to look at where the heart of power is yeah i mean it's probably going to be the people who control the money supply at the end of the day Uh, And uh, it's hard to know exactly like, you know, it's this guy, that guy in this family. I mean, there's obviously families that are part of it and in the upper tiers, but we can't know who's on top necessarily at any given time. And I would also argue there's a lot of um, factional infighting among people. Yeah. You know, you have some, uh, you know, prominent factions um, of of the global elite, right? They don't agree on everything. They might agree on the end goals of a lot of it, but I don't think they necessarily agree on, like, who gets what and who gets to control what. I mean, I think there's a lot of fights over the spoils, right? Uh, sort of like predators fighting over a, a carcass or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys are... Uh, play pretty dirty even with each other even though they could be on the same side a lot of the time so it becomes kind of complicated when you're trying to map like the global elite which is you know or or where power really lies but i think you know anyone that buys into um the argument that you know it's the national leaders of national governments or the top of the global power structure i mean i think that's totally divorced from reality at this point i mean if you think joe biden's like the the guy ultimately in charge of the u.s right now i think uh I don't know. Um, I definitely don't agree with that. And I think it's it's pretty clear that he's, you know, even presidents before Biden, you know, they're pretty much there just to um, demoralize. Sorry. Uh, They're pretty much there to. um, uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Random. But we're talking basically about about how presidents are uh, um, basically just puppets and actors. And I think you're totally right. I mean, every part of Elon Musk's story is is like almost made up uh, uh, what he's doing. And I just think that people are so desperate for someone to come and save them that we we kind of fall in love with these people, whether it's Elon, whether it's Trump. I mean, Obama. I mean, you just go down. Uh, and totally. the hope and like at the end of the day there's an old saying that if you know their names they don't run anything and i think that's a really smart yeah saying. yeah i think that's that's pretty fair so i would put people like bill gates for example who gets uh, and even people like klaus schwab a lot of the boogeymen that people sort of like uh outwardly at least these days sort of point as being on the top those guys are there to basically uh 
connect policies developed by groups like the CFR, the World Economic Forum, and, and all of these guys down to governments. And all, national governments only exist today to basically uh, create in, in what the UN and the WEF and these groups call enabling environments. So basically, it's a national government's job to implement these policies that are coming from these people, essentially. So like the World Economic Forum will done, do that through the Young Global Leaders Program or by cultivating politicians in certain countries and hand them these ready-made policies to implement. And that's how you get different countries around the world with ostensibly different governments all implementing the same policies, whether it's COVID or things like Build Back Better, for example, and things like like that, you know, they're all getting the policies from these same same group of, of think tanks and and other organizations, uh, you know, a lot of which are sort of out of, out of that roundtable model. Right. Like uh, the CFR, Chatham House and a lot of a lot of them are interconnected at the end of the day. And so people like Bill Gates, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or the World Economic Forum are basically connecting those policies developed by and for the benefit of oligarchs and the global elite to national governments and the national governments enforce those policies upon the rest of us. And we're at the bottom of the pyramid basically. So, uh, you know, we're going to get into a little spirituality a little later in the show towards the end, but you know, when, when you look at these policies, you go, okay, because the average person thinks this is about money and this is about power, but they have all the money. Like you said, they control the money and they have all the power. Do you think there's any kind of like, this might be waiting in some weirdness, but any, for me, <laughs> there's some kind of occult uh, uh, rituals into what's going on a depop like the, like what's really behind depopulation. Is there some dark arts? Have you, in your research, have you waded into those waters at all? So I don't really, in my research, wade into uh, the occult stuff so much. But when it comes to depopulation, I mean, it's really clear that there's a straight line from the eugenics, uh, the development of eugenics in the late 19th century, um, all the real, all the way to policies to today. And basically, what we've seen with COVID-19 and since is an effort to frame eugenics as healthcare. Um, and a lot of, you know, eugenics has developed over time. You know, as I've noted a few times in, in past interviews and, and articles, um, after World War II there was an effort to rebrand eugenics as transhumanism um, because, uh, well, Julian Huxley, who was the first guy to lead UNESCO, was also head of the British Eugenics Society. And so when he was uh, charting out his vision for UNESCO and like his the launch speech for it, basically, he said, we have to make the unthinkable thinkable again about eugenics. And then 10 years later, he says that the new eugenics is transhumanism. The merging of man with machine is how the human race is going to be perfected. And obviously, there's so much transhumanism uh, discourse today. You know, that ideology uh, still exists and hasn't gone away. And ultimately, um, you know, part of that has to do with, I think, the global elite viewing themselves as uh, so superior that they view themselves essentially as a, as a separate species. And you have people like H.G. Wells, for example, who's a well-known science fiction writer from this from the early eugenics or period of the development of eugenics. And he was also an avowed uh, eugenicist and I think a Fabian um, if I'm not mistaken. And he essentially said, you know, over a hundred years ago that there was going to be sort of a splitting of the human race and there would be like the elite uh, and then the squat working underclass that like eats bugs. Right. And they're, um, you know, that's uh, there's there. They'll be separate species at some point. You know, it's Jeez. not just an economic difference anymore. It'll become um, a biological difference. 
And there's uh, efforts, uh, you know, other people in the years since and uh, even today who talk about that still happening. And you can sort of see how it's um, starting to sort of come out in the open in some sense, uh, in some senses, you know, the the eat bugs stuff, you know, H.G. Uh, Wells talking about that 100 years ago for the working class is pretty uh freaky now that you know the bug stuff is getting uh pushed all over the place and obviously you know the elites aren't going to be eating that stuff it's for everyone else and all this genetic engineering and all that stuff uh the the move into all these crazy technologies that can uh, you know alter human beings adults in vivo um yeah, I mean, they want to get into all this stuff for a bunch of crazy reasons, I think. But if, you know, ultimately, what is this about? I would say that what really bugs them is that they see everything the non-ruling class does as leading to what they view as chaos, right? And so they want to bring order to that chaos, right? And they want to have everything uh, controlled because, you know, if you look at the control systems they're building today, it's not just about surveilling you and knowing what you're doing right now. It's about using predictive AI algorithms to decide to be able to know what you will do in the future. Right. It's all about predicting so they can control stuff before it happens and manage things before it happens. It's ultimately at the end of the, of the day, I would argue Um you know, pretty much all about, all about control. And so you want, and so they want to stop this chaos that they see coming from the, the lesser classes, the underclasses, they just want to eliminate it. And so ultimately, you know, what is that chaos they're referring to? Well, a lot of it is, you know, things like, you know, revolution, things like that, but also like human creativity, spontaneity, um, and, and things of that nature. A lot of things that, you know, we, uh, see as being integral parts of humanity. Right. That like creative spark, these ruling classes don't really have that. They see it as being chaos and they want to eliminate that chaos. And so if you remember, I don't know if you're familiar, Sam, but there's like um, a book that was just like 1984 and Brave New World before either of those books existed. I think it was a couple decades prior. Um, it's called We uh, by a Russian guy named Yevgeny Zamyatin, who is not nearly as remembered as, uh, you know, Huxley and Orwell. And I think with good reason and basically, uh, spoiler alert, but the, the book is essentially about how the state, the one state it's called in the book, um, realizes that the only way they can control human beings indefinitely is to remove uh, the imagination from the human brain. And so they basically subject everyone to like mandatory brain surgery and they take the part of the brain that is capable of producing that creative spark and that imagination out. So no one, you know, Holy they're basically shit. automatons and human robots. And I think that's um, where a lot of this is looking to go. At the end of the day, that's some Jeffrey because Dahmer. Look what they're trying shit. to turn us into, right? Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like, and if if you watch stuff happening in real time, like the chaos you're talking about, it's very interesting because if you take YouTube, right? YouTube was built out the back of conspiracy theorists. Like they were building, uh, putting out these amazing movies <laughs> that everybody was flocking to, and now, like, we have friends of ours who don't even do anything really political. Like uh, the Legion of Skanks guys, that 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 whole comedy uh, uh, network, they just lost their their YouTube channel because they were getting so big and they were putting out such great quality that you know again that's the chaos they're talking about. Like they didn't need banker money, they weren't uh, you know corporate, and that scares them. Like it really scares 
the elites when they can't compete and they can't control the message and they can't control the the the, the yeah. propaganda. So YouTube ends up basically cutting its nose despite its face to destroy its own traffic. We're seeing it happen right now in real time where everything's down, but they don't care because through this system of, you know, the Federal Reserve where whoever owns Google is going to lose some money. But guess what? Here's these bailouts that clean up that, that red tape and keep them afloat. So it's like this weird kind of thing where they're destroying their own brand and they don't really care because they'd rather have a destroyed yeah. brand than chaos. Yeah, something like that. And you can replicate that kind of example with a lot of other things besides YouTube, right? I mean, they just, um, I think ultimately anything they feel like is is too unwieldy for them or could lead to them uh, complications for them in the future, their, their grip on power and things like that, they don't want to deal with it. And so they're trying to create a system now uh, where they'll never have to worry about dealing with that stuff again. Right. Because if you can control what everyone's doing and you can predict and know what they're going to do before they do it, you don't and have it all managed by AI and all this stuff. You know, you don't really have to worry. And if you put brain chips in everyone so they can't be creative and they can't ever cognitively uh, rebel against their masters again. You know, I mean, that's basically what what this is leading us to. I, and they I, can just make shit up like, oh, he's going to steal something in the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what they're really sure. worried about. Deep fakes are about is just creating uh, fake evidence to just kind of cripple people uh, who might have voice opinion, yeah. uh, opposite yeah. opinion. Just to be dropping okay. drugs on people. Now, imagine if you could just make an entire fake, you know, back catalog of videos that you've been circulating. One hundred percent. So, you know, you mentioned some now everything's connected in my humble opinion. You know, and what do I know? But, you know, CIA, Mossad, MI6, I believe it is. Like, they, they all appear as separate entities. But in me, my opinion, they're all really connected and they just have different Yeah, they work together names. a lot. Like, and, look at one of the biggest scandals for the CIA in their history. Iran-Contra, that was the CIA, it was Mossad, and then you have, like, hints of British intelligence involvement with people like Mark Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher's son, and, like, um, all sorts of crazy stuff in the mix. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, there's a lot of overlap. Like I mentioned earlier, the CIA uh, was uh, it from its, you know, well, its precursor, the OSS, uh, had a lot of British influence and involvement. It actually had a British member, uh, Ivor Bryce, and... Um, and uh, I mean, you see it, you know, also in the beginning of the state of Israel um, as well, the involvement of like the British military sort of helping uh, the Haganah and some of the, you know, the Zionist uh, militias and all of that and and paramilitary groups. Um, and uh, I mean, you can't really divorce one from the other in a lot of a lot of things. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily uh, true now. I mean, there's a lot of really crazy stuff going on in geopolitics. So it's kind of hard to be like, you know, this is what the team, you know, everyone's on this team, you know, each of these intelligence agencies have their own factions. But there's over the years been an extensive amount of collaboration. And ultimately, you know, what my conclusion is, um, is that most of the power, like I talk about in my book, for example like that particular power structure that was around epstein it's 100 percent transnational you can't isolate that you know just to israeli intelligence or, or just to u.s intelligence or british intelligence or whatever um he basically entered this swamp that which was something that you know robert maxwell was in as well that involved a lot of you know british stuff a lot of saudi stuff a lot of israeli stuff and of obviously a bunch of stuff in the u.s so um you know these guys collaborate a lot and if you look at a group like saudi arabia right 
you know, they've been controlled by Britain and the U.S. Uh, for well over 100 years. And Saudi intelligence doesn't do anything without one of those two intelligence agencies basically signing off on it. So that's why it's funny when people, you know, will only acknowledge, you know, like the 28 pages, like the Saudi involvement in 9-11. Yeah. But obviously, if Saudi intelligence was involved in 9-11, the CIA would have known about it. A hundred percent. For sure, Mossad. I mean, you're just interviewing. Yeah, totally. You see those those dancing Israelis doing television interviews, which is so crazy. Yeah, they were there to document the event because that's totally normal. Imagine that on Arsenio Hall, like him interviewing like Timothy McVeigh about the big day in OKC. It's like, that's what that was. Like, how crazy is that idea? And then when you just talk about that, the and this is where I think a lot of stuff gets in where it's like this notion that anybody of your religion or your belief could possibly do anything wrong is like an affront to you and obviously some kind of bigotry is just laughable in the long run it's just going to cause more and more chaos more and more and like Epstein it's like to sit there and say it's a Mossad thing to say it's not is ridiculous and we had more and more people in these limited hangouts try to convince us that it wasn't them when it was 100% them they were running a a blackmail scheme and it's just like it's kind of crazy because we see it happen all the time well the FBI and uh, them, they have consistently protected child sex trafficking organizations and operations all yeah. the time. So, real quick, can you get into your book for us? I know you've done a couple to, uh, shows and talked about, but I'm really excited to hear about. It. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, so the book started off, like I mentioned earlier, um, as like my original series um, I did for Mint Press on Jeffrey Epstein, but a lot of it, so like it's two volumes. So volume one is all the stuff before Epstein. Volume two is all the Epstein stuff. So basically what I'm trying to do in volume one is show you how this group that Epstein eventually stepped into and became a part of, like where they come from and how they developed and what they did before Epstein got involved. And one of the reasons I did that is because if you want to talk about Epstein and intelligence connections, like what he was doing in the 1980s, you have to have a pretty decent working knowledge of things like Iran-Contra, for example. And most Americans can't tell you what that was actually about. Or, you know, a lot of other events. So anyway, I, you know, volume one sort of like a prequel, I would say, uh, about stuff you need to kind of understand about how this whole system works and how that particular group that Epstein was working with works in order to really understand Epstein. Uh, but, you know, in the interest of time, you know, I, you know, volume two is about not just Epstein. It's also about Leslie Wexner um, and Ghislaine Maxwell and why she was, um, you know, sent to the U.S. Uh, by her father before her father died in 1990. Um, I talk about Robert Maxwell in both volumes, by the way. Um, and then I get in I'll, into a lot of really crazy stuff related to um, Epstein and his visits to the White House um, and this Mark Middleton character who was has, who, who was in the news lately because, you know, he he died last year um, with an extension cord around his neck and a shotgun wound to the chest. And it was ruled a suicide. Whoa. So he somehow managed to shoot himself in the chest and hang himself at the same time last year. That was him. Wow. Yeah. So this is the guy that signed off on most of Epstein's visits. So when the Daily Mail reported this, for example, they said, oh, Middleton signed him in 17, uh, seven times. But what they didn't tell you is that he was signed in by like people working for Middleton more times to meet with Middleton. So saying it was just seven visits is a, is, you know, not fair. Um, And it was 17 total visits by Epstein to the White House that we know about. Right. Because there's also people on like the White House logs from the Clinton era signing into the White House is like Donald Duck. 
So, I mean, there were people that were coming in that didn't want to actually write down who they were. So for whatever reason. So, uh, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm just gonna be honest with you. And this could be sound like knuckle dragger stuff, but I honestly believe that they used Ghislaine Maxwell because she was the most attractive of, 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 her sisters she was very attractive oh, yeah. and the other ones like much not, more than the twins yeah for sure and it's like <laughs> yeah. the same reason why when we go back to barack obama and his mother and the fact that george bush senior and barack obama's f- grandfather basically were very instrumental in basically rebranding the cia from the oss and like barack obama's grandpa used his daughter as an mk ultra sexkin so they're not afraid to use their children in ways that most people would be horrified like this is kind of the mentality Mm -hmm. that they they have I think that is super true with the case of Robert Maxwell. To me, Robert Maxwell was 100% a narcissist in addition to being an intelligence asset and a shady businessman and all this other stuff he was. And in my opinion, he saw his children as extensions of himself, which is actually really common with you know narcissist parents uh, to not see their children as individuals, but as extensions of them. And so Ghislaine Maxwell, because she was the favorite child, right? Um, Robert Maxwell saw him and he said it numerous times, right? As Ghislaine is being just like him. And so she, he was trying to get um, basically set up a new headquarters in Manhattan. Uh, he wanted to basically become um, a bit, a major name in uh, New York and sort of move his base of operations from Britain to New York. And so this was happening in 1990 or so. And he sent Ghislaine uh, over to sort of be the emissary for that. But uh, according to her siblings, Ghislaine originally came earlier uh, to Los Angeles first and was going to be in some film, uh, but they won't say what the movie was. <laughs> and then after that, she apparently went to New York and then, you know, acting as the emissary of her, of her, um, of her father of her father's business interests there and the the business foothold uh was macmillan which uh, maxwell had taken over a few years prior but a lot of these takeovers um and acquisitions that maxwell was doing in the 1980s weren't so much being directed and planned out by maxwell but actually by rothschild inc and this is in the new york times of all places uh, because the rothschild inc is like the rothschild banking family's presence on wall street and they ignored it for a time until i think the early 80s when they put a guy named Robert Peary in charge of it and they wanted him to build it up and uh, make it more powerful and important and so uh, they decided to focus specifically on mergers and acquisitions and they used Robert Maxwell and Jimmy Goldsmith uh, as sort of their their um, I don't know sort of like as chess pieces to develop their um, their their bank on wall street and one of those was like the you know uh, maxwell taking over mcmillan that was totally designed by ross child inc and robert peary um which is pretty crazy to to think about all things uh all things considered so you know he's basically um not even directing his uh, at least some of his own major business decisions it's being directed by this particular uh bank which is interesting when you consider the history of the Rothschild family in the state of israel because of course at this point in time uh maxwell had been on the israeli intelligence Intelligence payroll since 1961, you know, over 20 years. And Jimmy Goldsmith being in that particular group as well is very significant because um, Jeffrey Epstein was seen hanging out at his house as early as the, you know, 1971. 
when he was in college age. Hey guys, real quick, I want to tell you about our boy James McMahon and Copy My Crypto. Let me tell you about CopyMyCrypto.com. Listen, so many people are making ridiculous money from crypto, but did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest. You simply need to do what he does, okay? So let me tell you about James. He runs Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship has over 26,000 subscribers. Good for him. Since March 2020, his he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put 100 bucks in each, it'd be worth 123,000, okay? Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, went up 692 times from what he said. The one that one cause retired a number of people including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to his YouTube and verify this yourself. So if you'd like to join the 2,800 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com slash TFH. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash TFH. That's TFH. You're not only, you'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but my, my listeners will get full access for just a dollar. Once again, that's copymycrypto.com slash TFH. The recession is here, guys. You can suffer like everyone else or choose to thrive. James is the real deal. Go visit the site now. I want to get into uh, Jeffrey Epstein, but real quick before we get that, because you brought up your volume one of your book, and I think this mm-hmm. is very important because I think like like I'm obviously I'm in the the conspiracy side of of a lot of stuff I believe power conspires all the time and that's kind of but within the conspiracy community there is this real belief that only the left the democrats and all these groups are uh into the pedophile stuff and I'm constantly telling them that you know you know there was a a a, a boy hooker scandal uh, yeah, the Franklin scandal. The Franklin scandal in the White mm-hmm. House. We've seen it happen before. So the question to you is, uh, like, uh, to those who think that pedophilia, because that's what's that's what it's being portrayed in in the media and in s- social media, that this is a left wing thing, not a right wing thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I guess before you know. The Clintons, uh, you know, the big pedophilia scandals in terms of proximity to political power were things like the Franklin scandal, which involved uh, Bush Sr. and the Reagan administration, Um, obviously Republicans and more importantly, Republicans deeply tied to intelligence and organized crime, uh, specifically Reagan on the organized crime connection stuff. And even before that, um, a lot of the big uh, sex blackmailers in Washington, like I note in my book, were people like Robert Keith Gray, who worked on Reagan's 1980 campaign and was a big lobbyist and PR guy um, on Capitol Hill. And uh, he was also a Republican and worked in the Nixon administration and stuff. Um, Bill Casey uh, was allegedly in, in a, a pedophile himself, um, according to uh, the reporting of Nick Bryant and um, some of his sources. And uh, of course, Bill Casey was a Republican CIA direct, uh, director under Reagan, head of the SEC under Nixon, um, and a, a longtime you know, veteran of intelligence stuff. And then you have people like Roy Cohn, uh, Donald Trump's 
helps mentor um, involved in, in pedophile sex blackmail stuff that involved people like J. Edgar Hoover, uh, you know, the conservative leaning head of the FBI for decades and decades and decades. So this is definitely not um, exclusive to the left. And I think that rhetoric's only really happened because you have like, you know, a corrupt, quote unquote, left political dynasty like the Clintons, who are obviously involved in this kind of stuff. And a lot of the focus um, as it relates to Epstein's sex crimes and its con- and the connections of those crimes to powerful people have focused a lot more on the Clintons and people that are viewed as being left-leaning than anyone else. And also another thing is that um, for the past several years, these types of issues only get talked about by right-leaning media. It's very hard to find any sort of mainstream left media complaining about pedophiles at all, ever. So... And not only I mean, like not mainstream media, about, oh, actually not even just not compl- complain about, but well, saying like if you call someone a groomer, it. it's yeah. a slur. Yeah. But groomer is a very specific term for what pedophiles do. So you can't say it's a slur. It's it is a specific term. So and then there's this whole like effort in some circles, you know, the minor attracted persons. We shouldn't call them ped- pedos. You know, we should call them maps and all of the stuff and like changing the rhetoric around it, which is really silly. You know, that's ostensibly coming from left leaning stuff, but you know, ultimately a lot, I think some of the talking points today miss the point and that they're trying to feed more the culture war and not the fact that this is like a left right issue and that our political system has been totally corrupted and destroyed because they like to put people into power that they know they can compromise with little boys and little girls. Yes. Well, that is 100% mm-hmm. it. It is the, it is the ritual uh, to the, the highest levels of power. In mm-hmm. gangs, they, they, you know, they, they do jump-ins. They do, hey, you got to go kill somebody so we have something on you. And, you know, before it used to be like, oh, you cheated on your wife. We have blackmail on you back when that was seen as the ultimate sin. The, now, as we get more and more liberal, now people don't care about, let's say, if you're gay. A lot of people don't care. So now it's like at the at the heart of it is pedophilia, and that is the initiation to the highest levels of power. So I want to get into Jeffrey Epstein, I'm, and this you've been might have been asked this before, but it's like it's very interesting. Why Epstein, and why Epstein so early? Because like there's just th- you know to me like everything is just even before they had our phones and they could collect our data. You know when you look back at the CIA and what the CIA and the FBI were doing in hate Ashbury with with not just uh, uh, acid, but also crystal meth and these free clinics, which were just data gathering centers where they were spy on people and experiment on them and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even before the 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 Internet, there must have been something that told the elites that Jeffrey Epstein was the guy that would be perfect for us to use as the what was either the head of it or something under Ghislaine Maxwell where they made him look like the leader, but it was really she was pulling the strings, whatever it was. What do you think it was about Jeffrey Epstein that made them go, this is the guy that's going to run this stuff? Well, you know, I think they were looking for specific personality traits, specifically when it comes to charisma, you know, being able to schmooze powerful people, make them feel at ease, even though they're about to engage in illicit activity. You know, I would probably put that 
skill set right at the top um and um as far as you know when epstein might have realized he was good at that sort of thing or been interested in these types of operations so as far as him and the public team up with galane maxwell they arguably met long before this but you know that's that starts at like 1991 but about a decade prior, Epstein was associated with institutions like the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI, which was basically a private intelligence apparatus masquerading as a bank, um, and also Adnan Khashoggi. So Adnan Khashoggi had a yacht, right, which later, uh, oddly enough, gets bought by Donald Trump. But before then, when it's Khashoggi's yacht, he basically has a harem of women that are used to, to blackmail politicians and also like CEOs of major corporations uh, to benefit Adnan Khashoggi you know arms deals and the people he's managing so you have uh you know right there someone doing this kind of stuff and epstein's already in that world and then with bcci it's it's in the official u.s senate report on bcci after it collapsed in 1991 they were trafficking underage girls to the elites of the united arab emirates some of them were pre-puberty a lot of them were so were suffered grave injuries because they were being pimped out And the guy that founded BCCI, who's a Pakistani guy, um, was was doing that. And he had a woman who was basically doing what Ghislaine Maxwell would later do for Epstein. It's the exact same operation. BCCI did it um, uh, a while ago. And it was mainly for VIPs of the bank and VIPs of the United Arab Emirates that they were servicing. So when when you bring up Kostogie, right, is this is this the quote unquote journalist that was chopped up and no that's jamal khashoggi who's the nephew of adnan khashoggi so adnan khashoggi is was a major uh arms dealer of saudi origin but he was tied up with pretty much every intelligence agency so he was a major figure in iran contra for example he was on the payroll of Mossad at that time Uh, he was also working with the cia um he had ties to uh, the safari club like uh, french intelligence moroccan intelligence egypt you know I, i mean all over the place he's anyone willing to pay for his services you know he would you know willingly associate with and he was an arms dealer at the end of the day um and so he's you know a, a pretty notorious figure um uh, because of that, Jamal Khashoggi's his nephew. Jamal Khashoggi was actually embedded with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan when the CIA was arming them um, in the 1980s uh, as part of Operation Cyclone, uh, and was one of these sort of like CIA-friendly embedded journalists with the Mujahideen, which of course at that time included people like Osama bin Laden, right? And you have some other people uh, in the same network that have surprising ties to Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, for example, like Carlos Mavrolian, who's another one of these CIA linked journalists embedded with the Mujahideen who dies really suspiciously as soon as Al-Qaeda becomes the boogeyman at the end of the 90s in the lead up to 9-11 dies a very suspicious death he was pretty clearly murdered by Pakistani intelligence um, at the time do you think same Mm -hmm. thing happened uh, Robert Maxwell you think he was taken out taken out well that's what Ghislaine Maxwell thinks and wasn't she like the closest to him out of all his kids she says it was a, a, a combination yeah. of Sicilian mafia contract hitmen and Mossad renegades that's her claim so I don't know I mean a lot of people don't really buy the official narrative that it was an accident and he just you know was a fat guy that slipped off his boat and drowned you know I mean it's kind of hard to believe and, and you know people like Gordon Thomas who are pretty well regarded biographers of Maxwell uh, regarded as a homicide Um, (laughs) and it would make the most sense to be honest all right guys real quick i want to tell you about our friends at z biotics that's right z biotics xavier what's your thoughts 
Uh, it's great. Ever skipped a workout because of drinks the night before? Me too. If you ever committed to your health routine this year, you need Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic was invented by pH scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink alcohol, it gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. Z-Biotic produces an enzyme to break this product this byproduct down. The first time I tried Z-Biotics was at Coachella, a three-day bender. I was there partying. I drank a bottle of Z-Biotics before any alcohol, and I was amazed of how good I felt the next day. Give Z-Biotics a try for yourselves. Go to zbiotics.com slash hat to get 15% off nope, your nope, first tin order. Foil. Start oh. that again. Give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash tinfoil to get 15% off your first order when you use tinfoil at checkout. Zbiotics is backed up with 100% back money guaranteed. Start that again because you forgot the dot .com. So start that again. On Zbiotics? Yeah, start at the beginning. Give Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash tinfoil to get 15% off your first order when you use tinfoil at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% back money back guaranteed. If you are unsatisfied for any reason, you're... Refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiox.com slash tinfoil and use the code tinfoil at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiox, for sponsoring this episode. So, uh, obviously, Bill Gates is, you know, in, in the forefront of he is the face of what, uh, everybody deems as like this kind of depopulation movement. Uh, I personally believe he's an actor in a role. Um, you know, his father was in charge of the um, Federal Reserve of Washington, you know, and, and Planned Parenthood. And Planned mm -hmm. Parenthood. So, you know, and the, the, just there's a lot of stuff that goes on that just is like, you know, the same thing with, with uh, Elon Musk, just like rich kid position in power uh, to pull out some stuff. But um, it's, it's, it's crazy how close he was with Epstein. And I know we've, yeah. there's been discussions of this, but how deep was the connection? Yeah, much more deeper than it's been described. So, I mean, if you be believe the official narrative or like if you believe Bill Gates, they just had dinner and that was it. Right. And if you believe the official narrative from Gates and, you know, even mainstream media sources, they didn't meet until 2011. Um, as I note in the book and some of my articles that are um, online at my website, unlimitedhangout.com, uh, you can read all about how that's total bullshit. And their ties at least go back to the 1990s, mid 1990s, potentially earlier, um, because at that point in time, uh, Bill Gates was a business partner of a company. Company that involved Ghislaine Maxwell and both of her twin sisters uh, called, uh, well, they were responsible for the Magellan search engine. Their company was called the McKinley Group. And they and Isabel Maxwell was negotiating those deals with Microsoft in 1995. Um, and then in the late 90s, Bill, Bill Gates and also Paul Allen, the other Microsoft co-founder, basically come in to rescue um, the IPO of her company, ComTouch, which is all like ex-IDF guys. Um and Isabel Maxwell's uh, in charge of it. And they hired her specifically because she was Robert Maxwell's daughter and could help them uh, get a foot in the door in Silicon Valley when they didn't have like, you know, they were drowning in debt. They were not a profitable company. They hardly had any clients. And it, it seems pretty clear it was an intelligence cutout from the off. And uh, Bill Gates, uh, according to Isabel Maxwell, put them on the map. And then in 2000, there's the weirdest freaking art interview ever in The Guardian of Isabel Maxwell. And they ask her about Bill Gates. This is in 2000. 
and she starts purring. That's what the Guardian journalist says, purring and speaking in a fake uh, Southern accent, like a Southern Bell accent. It's freaking insane. When she's talking about Bill Gates. Um, and then, you know, th- that in Ghislaine Maxwell was invested in that company. Then you have people that were around Epstein in the mid 90s saying that he talked about Bill Gates pretty regularly. And the fact that he was uh, flying on his plane was Bill Gates, top advisor and chief technology officer of Microsoft, Nathan Mervold. And then in, I think, 98 or so, Epstein was um, in, officially accompanied like an official company, Microsoft uh, delegation to Russia. And there's pictures of him in this particular town that's around this nuclear site uh, taking pictures in front of people's houses including with members of this uh, particular nuclear facility and if you you know look at that in the context of, of Epstein being Israeli intelligence and their long-standing interest in nuclear espionage it becomes kind of interesting I guess but you know there's pictures of him at high schools in that particular Russian town and that was taken with Microsoft uh, Russia uh, or their particular delegation there and then you have this particular figure um, named Melanie Walker um, so Melanie Walker was recruited to be a Victoria's Secret model for Epstein in 1992, but there's no evidence she actually modeled at all. Uh, but Epstein was apparently paying her and paying for her studies in graduate school, and she becomes his science advisor, I think, in either 96 or 98. And then after that, she uh, gets hired by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And, you know, this is like 2003, 2002. So if you're Bill Gates and you're going to hire a new science advisor in their, like, resume... The job before was being Jeffrey Epstein's science advisor and you hire them. It's because you know who Jeffrey Epstein is and what kind of science he's into. Right. It is, it is, it is really. So, cool. but here's the, here's the killer thing. So the evening standard, which is UK mainstream media in 2001 had an article um, of introducing Epstein to the British audience because he was hanging around Prince Andrew. Yeah. And they say in there, and it's never been retracted, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's wealth is because of his business links to three men, Leslie Wexner, Donald Trump, and Bill Gates. That's in 2001. So how did they not meet until 2011? And that's because they're trying to protect Microsoft more than just Bill Gates. Uh, because at tw- in 2011, Bill Gates was not in charge of Microsoft anymore. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, Epstein was doing this Microsoft Russia tr- uh, thing. He was tied up with Nathan Mervold. M- Nathan Mervold's been named by people like Virginia Roberts is actively involved in his sex crimes. And then you have other uh, Microsoft executives in the mix like um Melanie Walker is basically pimped out by Epstein to Prince Andrew. And then shortly thereafter, she's essentially like married off to another top Microsoft executive named Steven Sanofsky. And then uh, Linda Stone is a is another Microsoft executive that in the early 2000s is all tied up with Epstein and hires one of his like ex uh, masseuses or something to be her secretary. And so there's a bunch of weird like Epstein Microsoft stuff going on, basically. So if you move it to 2011, you you make the connection exclusively about Epstein and Bill Gates and about Bill Gates philanthropies, not you take Microsoft totally out of the equation. And I think there's an obvious reason for that. Do you want a pedophile intelligence asset having undue influence over one of the biggest tech companies on the world that runs on government computers and all this stuff? I mean, it obviously opens up a major issue. Now, I was going through some of your articles, and I found they're all super interesting, but one that really stuck out to me was about how uh, the CIA and Mossad are exploiting mass shootings. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I wrote this after my original series in, uh, <coughs> sorry, in 2019 for Mint Press. 
Um, I was writing about some of these investments that Epstein had had made uh, with people like Ehud Barak, the former Israeli prime minister who was very close to Epstein and pretty obviously involved in, in uh, the sexual blackmail operation and, and the sex crimes on a, on a pretty uh, significant scale. And Ehud Barak was running and essentially had created a company called Carbine, Carbine 9-11. Uh, and Epstein had had put a bunch of money into the company. So did people like Peter Thiel. Um, and Carbine's still around. They've taken a lot of the Israeli operatives and people tied to Epstein and Ehud Barak himself off of the company. Uh, but they're making major inroads in, in the United States and are about to basically be running all of the 911 call systems in the United States wow. because they're moving to this new thing called Next Gen 911 next generation 9-11 so instead of having every 911 system be local they want to centralize it they want to make a nationwide interconnected system that's all running on like smartphones and and 5g and all of this stuff and that company is carbine 9-11 because they've basically hired michael chertoff and Kristen christian michael nielsen chertoff. or whatever the dhs yeah. head under trump uh to their board of advisors and like a bunch of ex-cops and stuff like that so you know, this Israeli spy company that was made by like Israeli intelligence operatives and then had Epstein money and Ehud Barak, you know, this is basically going to be installed, um, you know, all over 911 systems. And the way Carbine works, as I note in the article, y- you call 911 and then they get access to your, your camera and your microphone for the call and also afterwards. And they can access all your data uh, on your phone and like download it without your consent. Because you're just calling 911. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, you're just giving it all to Israel, basically. I mean, it's pretty pretty insane. But that type of stuff doesn't um, raise any eyebrows in Washington. Like, in 2020, I wrote a three-part series about this Israeli Unit 8200 company called Cyber Reason. And they're running a bunch of um, uh, software on our most, like, uh, sensitive national security systems for, like, the Army and the Navy and stuff and, like, they're a foreign company. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Now, so. have you ever looked into the, uh, you know, I, I know we got a short amount of time. So, I, you know, I, I want to get into other scams, but there's other things I want to talk about. So, um, have you ever looked into the connection between the Vatican and Israel? Have you ever done any uh, research into that? Yeah, so unfortunately not. Like, you know, I haven't really looked into the Vatican that much uh, as far as research goes. Um, And, you know, I did talk about them kind of recently because the Pope heads up the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, which is like Lynn Forster to Rothschild and the head of MasterCard and all these like really unfortunate human beings with loads of money uh, coming together under the uh, you know, the the Pope and he's telling them how to make a more inclusive, quote unquote, economic system. I mean, it's um, really silly because it's all tied up with like the CBDC stuff and all this other, you know, this new economic paradigm they're trying to get people to to sleepwalk into essentially um so i mean there's obviously a lot of shady stuff with the vatican going way back if i'm not mistaken stuff like operation gladio involved organized crime the cia and the vatican and like you know nato and stuff um so they've obviously been willing to get dirty for a really long time and then there's also the death of that that pope uh i guess john paul the first i think it was who like died with a note in his hand and then someone came back and the note was gone and he was trying to investigate or like bring to heal the vatican bank right before he died and all stuff that's you know that's pretty shady it's crazy it's crazy i want to get into uh domestic terrorism and what what that is in in joe biden's 
uh, America. Who is a domestic terrorist? So, yeah, I wrote an article asking that exact question, and it was based off of policy documents from the Biden administration, specifically the Department of Justice, um, on basically the framework for the war on domestic terrorism, which I think they'll launch in earnest once they have their domestic terror 9-11 equivalent. I think that was intended to be January 6th, but, like, no one cares. And now there's a new poll that, like, 18% of Americans think January 6th was, like, all the feds, which it was, but it's, like, kind of funny that, like you know the american public actually was able to figure that one out because normally they don't you know um so um as far as who it is based on this document like if you just listen to the talking points you'll just think it's just all far right people that are going to be you know on the shit list for domestic terror and no 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 no. it's anyone who's anti-authority anti-government opposes uh um what is it like the globalization of corporations or something like like increased corporate power basically i mean it's it's literally going to be anyone on left and right uh, that doesn't agree with the system and it's basically saying it also basically says in this policy document that uh, americans disagreeing with each other is a major driver of violence and we have to stop it so basically we have to agree all the time and we have to agree with what the state says all the time that's pretty much in there and it's really crazy because there's like contractors for misinformation working for the military right now uh i've written about one called primer ai they're all ex-CIA people or ex-people that used to, you know, do insurgency stuff, uh, counterterrorism stuff after 9-11. So all those guys that were like hunting down insurgents in Iraq and whatever are now going to be hunting you. That's basically how this this works. And uh, the primer AI guy, the head of it, wrote this article in 2020 where he says, 2020 is the year we will begin to weaponize the truth. And he basically calls for creating what he calls a Manhattan Project for Truth, where basically we remake the whole Internet. And if you want to look up anything, you basically have to use a Wikipedia equivalent that's populated with data from the CIA. <laughs> so the CIA will tell you what's true and what's not. And I, yeah. you know, and I, I you know, I, I'm just waiting for them to try to recreate the internet. And well, I, they're going to do it, yeah, because they, they, they really want to clamp down on anonymity online. So there's the financial anonymity stuff they want to get rid of, like Bitcoin, crypto, all of that stuff, and then online anonymity. They want you to have a digital ID tied to your internet activity, so they know what you're searching and doing online all the time. It's all tied to your ID. And they tried this under the Obama administration. They called it the driver's license for the Internet. Uh, they're, they've been pushing in it, uh, pushing for it in the U.K. the past couple of years. And I think the EU um, is getting pretty far along on, on that particular point. But it's all part of the planned out, you know, digital ID uh, framework that in order to connect to the Internet, you, you know, will have the tire digital ID to your Internet access. So, you know, I, I've done a lot of work on um, this particular group called the World Economic Forum Part partnership against cybercrime. It's one of these public-private partnerships within the WEF, and it's run by an ex-top Israeli spy guy named Tal Goldstein um, that you, that created this crazy cybersecurity, cybersecurity policy uh, for Netanyahu, which was basically like, um, yeah, operations that Mossad used to do in-house, we're now going to make all these front companies for. So, like, um, Israeli tech companies made made by Unit 8200 alumni, we're basically going to use those to c- conduct all of our, so like, deep. intelligence operations. It was, like, a very open 
It's thing. so it's deep. crazy. It's so deep. It's so deep. Now, do you? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to say about this particular topic. But sorry, I'm I know you want to talk about more stuff. So. Yeah, it's really crazy. Uh, so so we keep. I, I just watched some uh, economic forum thing and this guy's like just like they said before 9-11 where they needed like a pearl harbor type event uh, yeah. this guy's openly talking about we're gonna need another high impact event to shock yeah the well system. he's saying it's gonna be a cyber attack in the next two years that's what the head of the WEF is saying not klaus schwab the other guy that manages it manages it for him i forget his name it's like year again something something um but yeah he was basically saying like there's gonna be this big cyber attack and if you look at the WEF partnership against cybercrime policy documents which by the way this partnership against cybercrime it's all the big banks it's like wall street yeah and then it's uh the fbi the doj israel's national cyber directorate and then the uk national crime agency so it's israel the us and the uk and they basically say that uh there's going to be a massive attack on the financial system and it's going to be a ransomware attack. That's how they're, they're going to uh, destroy Bitcoin, I think, is by having a big ransomware false flag. And they'll be like, oh, the only way we can stop these ransomware attacks from happening because the ransomware stuff, they always want the ransom paid in yeah. Bitcoin, right? We have to make Bitcoin illegal because otherwise they're going to keep asking for Bitcoin and ransom. We have to keep people from being able to cash out and use Bitcoin as money. So that's part of it. But if you look at the, you know, how they, they, they want to end financial anonymity and online anonymity in one go, how do you do that? Uh, by having a massive cyber attack that takes down the financial system and the internet. And then in order to get people back onto the internet, so they'll know they'll keep the internet safe. You have to have an ID. We have to get serious on cyber crime. So that means government issued ID to access the internet so we can know what you're doing all the time and make sure you're not doing anything you're not supposed to be doing, right? And then getting rid of uh, financial anonymity, meaning that we can track all your financial transactions, which is the central bank digital currency. So, you know, th they've already set it up. I'm gonna be doing a video probably next week or, or this week about that partnership against cybercrime specifically, because they've laid it all out. And the biggest, the biggest Wall Street banks in the US totally on board, because I mean, they have to collapse the system in a way that they can do it that's like a controlled demolition that they can like handle and and then rebuild a system that's favorable to them but not to us and they've already designed it right the central bank digital uh currency stuff and the digital id system are meant to interface together and it's actively being developed right now by central banks wall streets on board and pretty much every national government's on board with it so um they have to have some sort of way to force people onto that but you know if you think oh yeah well i'll just do it this once um you know, get the digital ID, whatever, so I can get online again and still talk to people. The internet after this event is not going to be the same as the internet now at all. It, people are, it's not like that creativity we talked about, the chaos of the current internet, it's going to be gone. It's going to be like the most bland crap because no one can say anything funny because it's going to be like illegal. They're going to know who you are. They're going to be like watching everything you type and say and watch and read. So who's really going to be expressing themselves or making like, you know, edgy content anymore? Nobody. It's just going to be crap. So Is I would say a, uh, stay away a from the Trojan horse, you know? Is there a counter? I mean, there's always a counter. Do you think there'll be a counter? There's always some autistic kid somewhere comes up with something that 
counters this stuff because I know in like when I was in China, they'll be like, dude, they censor the internet here. They're like, just get a VPN, you'll be fine. Do you do you see any of that possibly happening? Yeah, I mean, it depends. So as far as I understand, most of the modern internet only really uh, depends on like 13 or something servers internationally that like manage almost all of it. You take those 13 out or you control who runs them. You control the modern internet. So, you know, it really depends on how far they plan to go with this. Um you know, ultimately, I think it's possible to rebuild a parallel Internet system, which are just basically interconnect, interconnected computers. Right. I mean, I think it's possible. But do most people have, you know, the know how of how to set that up or are are they actively setting it up? Mm, I don't really see it. But what I would say is that, you know, it's really important right now to save content that you like or you think you will need in the future offline right now. So like if you uh, don't know crap about like growing your own food, for example, or, you know, other types of skills about how to make your own stuff and like, you know, they're going to try and collapse the economy and you're going to need to know those things. You don't have to learn it right now if you don't have time, but at least like save a bunch of YouTube tutorials or something about how to do it somewhere so you can access it when you need it. Right. And the same thing, too, for like, you know, world events. Think about how much information, news stories, videos, you know, news broadcasts about 9-11 had been totally like deleted in the past 20 years. You can't find them anymore. I mean, almost all of it, probably the vast majority. So, you know, they delete stuff all the time. So, you know, you could really make a case that everything should be saved offline to an extent. I save uh, everything. But my question to you is because and this is my honest belief. I used to have things saved on my computer, like in files, right? Like inside files. And then one day I would go in there and the audio was all gone on these videos. And no, go, you got to save it in hard drives and you got to put them in Faraday bags, which you can buy on Amazon. But I 100% believe that somebody, because of the show I do, went in there and jacked the audio off that it's it's totally possible i mean okay so going back to ehud barak right ehud barak with a bunch of other ex-idf guys uh created another company at the same time he was making carbon n11 well i think it was a couple years later called toka and uh toka basically claims to be able to hack and manipulate any device without the user knowing and they're marking it all over the world. I mean, this is Israeli, Israeli spy tech and also the CIA stuff. I mean, like when WikiLeaks put out Vault 7 and stuff, they were like, we're doing this because the CIA's hacking unit is totally out of hand. And all of these tools to get in and manipulate everyone's stuff have just like fallen out in the dark web. And now everyone has it. So like anyone can mess with your stuff, intelligence agency or like, you know, anyone with the technical know-how. I mean. It, so, it, it it would be kind of naive to think that no one can get into your stuff this unless you're this taking like extreme protections. This isn't down your rabbit hole, but do you think this has to do anything with the Mandela effect or why it's messing with us where they're deleting the Internet? And in a way, you, we believe we didn't save it and we should have saved it. Like, do you- uh, yeah, I don't really know how to how to answer that. I mean, I think it. If you see it online and you think it's useful to you, it, try and get in the habit of saving it all offline if you can. I don't know, you know, how much of it's like psychological of thinking like, oh, they might have deleted my stuff or maybe I didn't save it. Is that what you're asking? Well, I, really- I, well, what we've talked about on this show before is that there's kind of this push to get you to not believe your eyes, your ears or your experience. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so what they kind of do, and I mean, this is like going back to kind of what you just said, which is that, you know, 
who knows what programs they have. So could they go back and just they have a program that can find the video anywhere, anywhere on the internet, anywhere, and just re-upload it in a way that makes us go, oh, I remember Britney Spears' skirt being plaid. What do you mean it's black now? So, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's possible. All of it's possible. Yeah, well, I think the internet, specifically social media, is just like one giant psyop at this point. Like social media is there to influence you and your perception of what you think and how you perceive how other people are thinking and feeling. Right. And it's pretty much openly admitted like the military DARPA specifically has plunged like so much money into studying social media for the past 20 years. And um, there's a headline, I think it was on Ars Technica about how the one branch of the military was trying to find out how they can use social media to control human beings like they control drones. That was the headline. So social media. And if you I mean, if you consider that most social media companies from the time they were created and had major national security ties, like with Facebook and DARPA or Google and the CIA, um and and all of that i mean it's a pretty convincing case that this is just a a major uh tool for them to manipulate how we perceive the world and ourselves and and world events and there's been stuff you know stuff has come out over the years like facebook's manipulating people's newsfeed to make them like feel a certain way and manipulate their emotions and all of that i mean they're doing it to us all the time and we we look at a lot of stuff on social media and think it's real but like even elon musk didn't want to buy twitter because of how many bots are on there i mean we don't know how many bots are actually on there right and how sure are you that the person you're interacting with is even real and they want to just disconnect us so much from reality i mean that's like what the metaverse is all about like you can date someone in the metaverse and they look a certain way but it's not totally connected to who they are in real life and you're not supposed to care it's all you know a new reality and all this stuff. I mean, it's just all totally insane uh, how things are. But like to to me today, social media is just all about manipulating people psychologically and, and making them, like, like you said, unable to believe, uh, you know, it, it, being divorced from what their sense, their intuition and their five senses tell them and, and critical thinking tells them. So, and you, you need that to manipulate people at this at the scale that we're seeing. So you're talking about this finance, this uh, Internet event. Do you and the clefts, the finance, would you tell people to get their money out of banks? And my question, because I get told this by good friends of mine who I love, where do I put my money? If I if I'm pulling it out, like, should I invest into a house and hope to God that they lose the fucking deed? So I have like, man, I paid you off. I paid you off. (laughs) Well, I would I would definitely get your money out of the big Wall Street banks. Like if you're banking with like Bank of America or Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase. Yeah. I mean, you're screwed. You will be screwed. Santander. For, you know, is another one. I don't know if they're active in the U.S., but they are in Britain and some other places. They're a Spanish bank, and Deutsche Bank is has long been pegged as sort of one of the first banks that's going to totally collapse um, in this next uh, financial crisis because of you know how screwed they are fiscally. So um, you have them, Santander, and then a bunch of the big Wall Street banks. You know, I, I'm not a financial expert, but I would say you know it would make sense to you know if you want the regular banking experience and you don't want to use those banks, look for smaller banks, community banks, or like 
co-ops and stuff and, and try and put your money there. Or look at how, you know, a particular bank fared during the 2008 crisis. Did they have to be bailed out? Did they lose everyone's money? Were they super irresponsible then? Because they'll probably be irresponsible now. You know, if they weren't in 2008, you know, you have a better shot. Uh, but ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, what you have to care about, right, is like, how am I going to feed myself and my family and like make sure we can meet our basic needs if the world gets totally insane? And so whatever money of yours you can put in that makes sense. Well, right? uh, do, now, I know you're not a financial expert, but your feel, do you think it is better to buy gold and silver instead of holding on to regular fractional reserve banking cash? <laughs> I mean, possibly, but like what I was just saying. So like, for example, um, if you have a certain amount of money and you're not sure what to do with it, put it in gold, put it in silver, like, is it enough to also put in something that's going to keep you and your family uh, fed and like safe during a financial crisis, like a major economic collapse where like society breaks down and goes totally haywire? Um, you know, like, so for me, I had some money from the book, right? And so I bought like two acres somewhere and a little dinky house on it. I'm going to try and farm, right? So we can feed ourselves if stuff gets really crazy. So, you know, I could have put all that money in gold. I could have put all that money in silver, but you can't eat gold and silver yep, at the end of the day, totally right? You right. can't eat Bitcoin either. So yep. I don't really know, you know, what it looks like for some people, like some people, um, you know, don't want to take that step or whatever, or, you know, maybe Bitcoin or something is part of their way and getting to like, you know, your little lot of land somewhere. Um, you know, if that's how it is for you, cool. If not cool too, you know, I'm not trying to tell people like what to buy and what to put their money in, but people should start seriously really thinking about like, what would you do if the internet wasn't around tomorrow? Like, how would you feed yourself? If, if the economy collapses, what would you do? And what kind of stuff, like, would you like to have on hand? Maybe put some of your money in buying that stuff, like a water filter or, you know, mini indoor greenhouse. I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. It just depends on, like, you. It's very particular to the person. And, like, do you live alone? Do you have a family? What kind of area do you live in? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean and it's not this it's not like a one size fits all type of thing but i think people need to really start seriously thinking about how to sort of get um more uh, have more independence from the system right because if the system is going to collapse and the way they're going to try and hurt us and this new system is our dependence on the current system and the fact that so many people are basically slaves to convenience they'll do anything for like comfort and convenience Right. Um, I mean, that's basically how the smartphone wiggled its way into our lives. Right. Oh, look, this is so convenient to have it on a phone. And then the next step is, oh, look, it's so convenient to have Neuralink in my brain, which is basically a smartphone in the brain. And they're already like, you know, people promoting that stuff. We're already saying like, oh, it's just like the smartphone, you know, and all this other stuff that like, you know, we basically outsourced all of our needs. Um, and you know, everything we need to consume to stay alive, you know, to corporations that want to enslave us. So if you don't want to be enslaved, you got to get off the plantation basically. All right. All right. All right. I, I understand that. And you know, so you're bringing up, you're bringing up, uh, cryptocurrency, obviously FTX is, was it, was a huge story that disappeared. That just completely <laughs> yeah. disappeared. Out he's, of, going to, he's going to jail. Uh, is he? 
That's what I heard. He might. We'll see how much they try and throw him under the bus. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of really crazy stuff going on with the FTX thing. And um, if you ask me, uh, SBF was not was just a puppet for somebody. Yeah. Uh, it looks yeah. like his handler was William McGaskill, the head of the Center for Effective Altruism that's tied up with uh uh, the guys that funded Event 201, Open Philanthropy, which is a Facebook co-founder, teamed up with McCaskill. And the, McCaskill basically guided SBF's whole career um, from the time he was an undergrad until he uh, you know, got arrested last year. So you talk about this one particular farm, which is Farmington State Bank. What role did they have in it? Yeah, so I looked at this particular bank um, mainly because it, there was just some really weird stuff going on with it. So FTX poured a bunch of, well, through Alameda Research, which was one of their sort of like subsidiaries, uh, they poured a bunch of money into it. And then it underwent this very rapid change to become Moonstone Bank just a couple of days later. And they signed deals with uh, a company run by the guy that claims to have invented central bank digital currency and all this stuff. And it's weird because this bank is like, it's super small. I mean, if you look at it on Google Maps, I mean, it's like smaller than a trailer. It's like in a town of like 12 people. And uh, it, it doesn't make any sense why they pour all this money into this bank. Um, but all this weird financial activity was going on with it probably a few months before FTX like completely implodes. Um, and the guy running it uh, that had bought Farmington um, not long before then is a guy named uh, Jean Chalopin, and he's a French guy, but he's also the head of this uh, bank in the Bahamas called Deltec. And Deltec was where FTX did a bunch of their really suspect banking. Uh, so they had a bunch of accounts there and a bunch of different currencies and a lot of weird stuff financially was going on with FTX and Deltec. So you have the guy that runs Deltec buying this other tiny bank in the middle of nowhere, and then Alameda Research is pouring all this money to FTX. FTX money into it um, and for ostensibly no reason. Oh, another thing weird that happens right after that money goes in is that uh, Moonstone hires the CEO, the ex-CEO of Revolut to run it all of a sudden. And Revolut is a financial app that's that was created uh, by NGF Capital and NGF Capital's uh, Nicole Yunkerman Capital, basically. And Nicole Yunkerman is an Epstein associate who was on the board of Carbine 9-11 and she was involved in his sexual blackmail operation, uh, helping him uh, Epstein sexually blackmail uh, two U.S. senators in 2002, right before the, you know, uh, in the lead up to voting on uh, war with Iraq and stuff like that. So, you know, what's she doing there? And then if you look at the person who owned that particular bank before Jean Chalopin, um, it's this guy named Archie Chan who ties in with all this weird uh, this weird network that was involved with the stuff going on at the Clinton White House and Mark Middleton and Epstein in the mid 90s. It's really crazy. So why is all this stuff going on? You know, I can't really make sense of it at this point, but obviously like there's a lot more going on with FTX than than meets the eye. And I think a lot of this ultimately boils down to what FTX's ambitions ultimately were. So Sam Bankman Freed um, before FTX imploded said on numerous occasions that he wanted to turn FTX into the everything app. Have you heard that before? Because yeah. Elon Musk, when he wanted to acquire Twitter, says, I want to turn Twitter into the everything app. Well, the everything app, what is that? It's basically uh, your gate way uh between the digital id and everything else right so whoever controls the everything app controls pretty much everyone's data 
right? And if data is the new oil, whoever controls the everything app are the Rockefellers of the data era. Basically. This is why I'm afraid so of this have, verification thing, uh, by the way, Sam. Yeah, I get what you're about. saying. Yeah. Does, yeah. Doesn't China have a WeChat or something like that where it's like an everything app? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the goal. The, to be financial, social media, all the stuff together. So FTX was coming at it like, oh, we're going to dominate the financial side and then add social media and all this other stuff to it. And Elon Musk is coming from it. Like, well, I've got the social media component and now I'm going to add a financial component and blah, 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 and make it the everything app but the everything app is just you know uh who's who's trying to be the data baron of the you know the new world order basically (laughs) um and it's weird with elon musk too because the people that own wechat also own a huge chunk of tesla and are like major advisors very active advisors and have a lot of influence over tesla as a company so um that's interesting in the context of musk's musk's uh comments explicitly saying he wants to make twitter a wechat equivalent and an everything app but anyway sbf wanted to do that for ftx turn it into an everything app so i would say there's a couple different factions fighting over who gets to make the everything app and maybe you know it'll be like uh, the way they've done u.s politics forever you'll get two flavors of the everything app you can have you know the red app or the blue app depending on which one you like better um but you know they're still screwing you over at the end of the day so i know we gotta let you go here in three minutes you got a hard out final question Black pill, white pill. Is there any white pill out there for you? Do you have any spiritual understanding? I mean, you just, you have children. I have children. Our children are around the same age. Uh, Is there, are are we just leading these kids into slavery? Is there hope? Is there anything at the end where you could fight back? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think there's hope, but I think there's also like a concerted effort to manipulate people into thinking there's no hope. And so I think social media, like I mentioned earlier, that being a huge ground for psyops is a big part of that to make us feel hopeless. So the more you're looking at social media for like, are we going to win this thing or not? No, you should be looking in your local community and trying to change minds in the real world. Uh, probably more than you are online at this point, since online stuff is so manipulated. And I think, you know, a lot of... Um, there's a lot of efforts to make us think that we're all alone and that a lot of people aren't seeing what we've been seeing. Right. So polls, for example, polls are there to make people think that the public thinks a certain way, but I don't think it's reflective most of the time of what the public actually thinks. Good example. 2016. Right. Hillary Clinton's going to win all the mainstream media, you know, uh, things said because of polls, you know, 90 percent plus probability Clinton wins and she doesn't win. That was to discourage people from going to vote for the other candidate, in my opinion. And this stuff happens all the time. So, like, you have the U.K. government coming out right now with, like, their YouGov thing that's all tied up with intelligence and and shady people, right? Saying 71% of people in the U.K. think thought the COVID restrictions weren't strict enough in Britain, right? That's probably bullshit. But they want you to think, oh, well, the people that think that it was wrong and, like, all this stuff, bad stuff happened. They're a tiny minority. You're a tiny minority and you know you affecting change is hopeless they want to basically infect people with the hopelessness disease um and so i think the more you realize that what you can't believe that kind of stuff when you're looking at it the better off you will be so i'd say i'm definitely probably more white pilled than black pilled uh, because i think once things get they probably have to get tougher before we get to this point but once things get tough enough i think enough people will will come together and realize they don't want to live in this reality we're being pushed into Um, And ultimately, I think it comes down to mass noncompliance. There has to be some sort of red line that enough people are going to say, no, I'm not going to do that shit. 
and no thank you and i think it'll happen at a certain point because basically the way they're trying to coax us into all this stuff is through our addiction to convenience uh but i think you know enough people want to preserve their humanity because this is ultimately what it's becoming down to with like transhumanism stuff you know i think enough people are going to be wanting to preserve what humanity is and preserve their humanity than you know oh how convenient to go that route you know um I don't know. I, I guess there's a lot of other stuff I could say about it, but I'll probably just leave it there. All right. Well, we did it. We, we, we Here we are at the end. I appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on. I have a show with a very funny comedian named Brian Callen, and uh, everyone has been ba- begging us to get you on, and uh, I'd love to set that up a little down the way sure. so you could uh, show him the way. He's very stubborn, but I'm excited uh, for you to talk to him. <laughs> you know, this might be the end of that show, by the way, because if she goes on there and really lays down the law, you guys will agree on everything. If it and then dies, the it dies, okay? <laughs> That's what we got to do, but... Uh, <laughs> Whitney, thank you for coming on again. Your website's Limited Hang Unlimited Hangout, and uh, you can find it also on Rockfin as well. As always, a pleasure. You always knock it My out of the place. park. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate you, and uh, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care, guys. Take care, Whitney. Great job. All right. Uh, a lot of great things going on here. <coughs> um. So uh, a lot of great stuff going on here. Go check out the website again. God dang it. Getting coughs going. Uh, go to the website real quick if you could. Or did, are, are you frozen? No, go to, go to the main page, please. Uh, again, all the videos you could ever want, whether it's free zeros, all that's there. You, all you got to do is go to samtribly.com. Click on everything. Uh, again, check out the premium uh, content on Rockfin while you can, apparently. So go check on that. What's that mean? Uh, well, according to her, oh, everything's oh, going gotcha, to go to gotcha, shit. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Johnny, I'm starting to think that we should all go in on farmland in uh, North Carolina. There's plenty around for sale, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. I wanna, I'm thinking wanna... about getting something. A friend of mine, Matt Wall, a Matt from South Africa, He got. he's just outside of L.A. He's got farmland. I'm like, I might have to go grab some. Danny's like, I don't want to live outside of L.A. Too bad. Do you want to live, though? Yeah, exactly. do you want to live? We're yeah. going to go get some land. You're going you're gonna to be, you're going to harvest the land, lady. Okay? <laughs> She's farming. You're farming. That's how we're doing. If pregnant Whitney Webb can farm, you can farm, lady. Okay? That's how we're doing it. I really want to do that, though. Uh, so um, go check out that. Rockfin. Uh, Rockfin has uh, three of my shows. Plus, we don't smoke the same. And uh, if you want to look to invest while you can, go to cashdaddies.com and uh, go to patreon.com slash cashdaddies. Johnny, how's, how, how has Howie been doing? He's been doing uh, quite well. Dude, if you're looking to make an extra cash, a little scratch, go to, again, patreon.com. Uh, new t-shirts like we showed you earlier. New t-shirts up. Very excited. Click on that. Yeah, your algorithm is lying to you. And if you like it longer in their face, conspiracy theorists aren't wrong. Your algorithm <laughs> is just lying to you. Okay, so those are t-shirts. Great way to support the show. Uh, and then I want to get into what we're going to. And then, dude, listen to me. Uh, our sponsors are great. We have some great affiliate programs. I'm working on a couple new affiliates to work with. All my affiliates are things I think you need to survive in the apocalypse, okay? 
uh, gold and silver through Wise Wolf. Uh, go on that. Then we have our promo code from Harley Ray, not Haley Ray, Harley <laughs> Ray, and use the promo code SWARM15. That's going to get you some of your crystals. Uh, some of your uh, stuff to deal with EMF is all right there. Go join them. We love them very much. And then, obviously, Aqua Cures Hydrogen Brown Gas. Got to keep young. Got to get that hydrogen in you. Uh, the tinfoil hat, only conspiracies there, and also the zero telegram are on fire. Nuked, if you join nuked.social, my social media, you will uh, get some action going there. So just so you know, guys, that uh, on samtriple.com, the videos from uh, our shows have gotten up to over a million views. That's pretty impressive for a website, right? Over a million views. Crazy. You Great. go see Great. it. Any video, if you're like, Sam, I can't find you on Rockfin. You don't have to. I mean, I can't find you on YouTube. You don't have to go to YouTube. You can literally go to samtriplee.com. And most of our YouTube channels are, in fact, uploaded to the uh, to uh, samtriplee.com. So you click it. It'll take you right to YouTube. You'll feel good about yourself. Okay? There we go. And did we just have a new? Uh, there we go. You're all cut up. You're all cut up over there. We're all cut up, man. All my stuff is on there. Now, what we're also going to be doing starting, I believe, next week or the week after that, we're going to give you little sneak peeks into some of my other shows. We're going to give you uh, Broken Sim will be on there, uh, Broken Sim, uh, Conspiracy Social Club, and a little clip from We Don't Smoke the Same. And you'll hear five-minute clips so you can check out the shows. So maybe you want to listen to those as well. On uh, where? Where's that going to be? On the website? That's going to be, No, that's going to be at the end of every episode. Of this show? Yes. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to tell you that after at this. At the so. end, and don't, so don't even worry about it. Yeah, but it's going to be part of it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, anything else, guys? It's a good idea. I wonder okay. who thought of it. Yeah, I wonder who thought of it. So, guys, again, if you want to see me live, I want to thank, again, everybody in Minneapolis for crushing it. Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Whitney Webb. We've been waiting to do this, and I think she knocked it out of the park. Love you guys. Hope is out there. Hope is eternal. Thank you, guys, and have a great week. All right, guys, real quick before we're done, we want to tell you about all of our affiliates. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, as you know, uh, fiat money is chaos. Okay, fractional reserve banking, dangerous. The best way to get out of it is precious metals, in particular, silver and gold, silver and gold. And that's why we're working at Wise Wolf, okay? Wise Wolf, silver and gold. Just go to samtriplee.com or samtriplee.gold, and you could join. And uh, the, he's hooking you up. They got great pro. They, you can either buy single time or you can sign up for their program where you can buy up to $500 a month. I'm doing it. I hope you can, too. We also have... Everybody at Eagle Research, that's right, Eagle Research, AquaCure Mobile Model AC50 Brown Gas, Hydrogen Brown Gas. Uh, the guy who makes it says it's secure. People are using it. Check it out. Just go there, use the, the, the promo code Tin foil hat, three words, and get a discount. Go back to the main page, Sam Tripoli. You will get, uh, yeah, you get a discount with the promo code Tinfoil. And then our good friends over at HaleyRayCrystalShop.com. Go to the, the promo code is Swarm15. Swarm 15, get 15% 15 off, off all your crystals, all your quartz, all uh, you name it. What do we got here? Look at all this stuff. All this stuff. All the best. You can do it right there. It's all part of the best 
crystal shop on the internet. Jewels, bracelets, clusters, you name it. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Candles, you name it. You got it. Swarm 15. Thank you for supporting the show. We love you. And uh, thank you so much for your support. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack.